0: How many of you guys were here last week for the start of our I Am series? Man, I, I tell you, Pastor Stephen did an absolutely phenomenal job um, starting out with the uh, the bread of life. And and normally I don't, you know, I don't necessarily walk back a lot of the the, the messages that that are preached the, fall, the previous week. There was something that stood out to me that was that was really profound in, in in what he spoke. And he was talking specifically about the encounter that Moses has at the burning bush, in which you know, after after God gives Moses this commission to uh, to go back to Egypt and to, and to lead the Israelites out of slavery, um, you know, he, he finally, because at this entire time, God has been giving Moses instructions, but he's not giving him information. Like, he's giving him instructions. He's showing him how, you know, how, how he can empower him to do all the things he's asking him to do. But then finally, Moses says, who exactly are you? Like who do I tell the people sent me, and, and and the scripture records it as God saying I am that I am. Now I've always preached this as I am whoever I want to be, and and that's that, that's kind of how how I preached it. But Pastor Steven said something last week that really struck a chord with me, and he said he said maybe what God was saying was I am whatever you need me to be. And it caused me to it caused me to think back to, to what I know. I mean, there's a whole study in in understanding the names of God because every name of God is a highlight of a character piece of who God is in relation to us. And you know, I kept thinking the, the idea that man, you know, whenever I need a deliverer, I've got one. Like I don't have to pray for one; I have to pray to one. Like whenever I need a provider, I've already got one. I don't have to pray for one. I've already got one. Whenever I need a strong tower, I don't have to pray for one. I've already got one. How many of you in the room are are grateful that you already have a God who supplies every one of your needs whenever you have one? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm excited to continue our I Am series this morning. If we've not met, my name is Joel Eklund. I'm the Generations Pastor here at the house uh, if you're a guest with us for the first time, we're so excited that you're gathering with us. If you're gathering with us online, you know, I, I, was, I was saying this to our first service, but like out of the millions of streams that you could have used, thank you so much for gathering with us this morning. We're so excited to, uh, to have you listening, with, uh, listening in and gathering with us. Amen? How many of you have ever shopped on Wish.com? Wish.com. Yes. Okay, if you're unfamiliar, if you're uninitiated to Wish.com, Wish.com is the exact place that you buy pure, unadulterated disappointment. (laughs) Not a joke, not a joke. So when I was a a wee lad of probably 26 or 27, uh, I I first encountered Wish.com, and I, I remember... I remember getting on, like, like seeing this. This was kind of a, right about the time where all of a sudden Facebook went from just being like a, a social media platform to Facebook becoming like a marketing platform, right? Where all of a sudden you would think about something in your mind and it would show up in your feed, And then all of a sudden you're just like, who tapped my phone? <laughs> you know? Anyway, so I remember thinking that I really wanted a nice leather jacket and, and all of a sudden this, this, uh, this ad pops up from wish.com and it showed me this really, really nice leather jacket said it was 100% genuine leather. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at this thing. It kind of, if you've ever watched Wolverine, it kind of looks like the jacket that Wolverine wears. And I'm like, I too could look like Wolverine, right? (laughs) Yes. And, uh, and so I, I, I end up, and the thing is, is that when you're, when you're buying a leather jacket, how many of you realize that literal genuine leather costs something? I knew that, but when I saw that $25 price tag, I thought to myself, uh, maybe it's legit. <laughs> right? So anyway, I buy this XL, uh, men's XL, excuse me, men's XL leather jacket. And this thing takes, for those of you who know, okay, I'm about to date myself here, but how many of you in the room ever used to uh, collect the, uh, the, the little coupons? out of the bottom of cereal boxes and send them in for free stuff. Yeah, it was a sad, sad childhood. We all lived. Anyway, (laughs) but what you noticed about that was that whenever you, I mean, it would take you like a year, a year in order to compile all the coupons that you needed. Then you send it in, right? And then it's like an eight-week wait. This, like this, Genuine leather jacket from Wish.com took longer to get to me than the little coupon thing from Kellogg's. I mean, partially, I, I mean, I kind of, I was starting to set myself up for disappointment when I saw that it was being shipped from mainland China, and I was like, oh shoot! <laughs> and so all of a sudden, this thing, you know, this jacket gets to me, right? And I realized right when I opened up the package, this is not as advertised. I put that men's XL on. And it was kind of like, if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen Tommy Boy, it was like that. It was like that scene from Tommy Boy where he puts on Richard's jacket and he's like, fat guy in a little coat. I mean, literally, this like, this little tiny jacket, right? And I realized in that moment that there is a price to be paid for authenticity. You can call something authentic all day long, but if it doesn't fit, it ain't authentic. This morning, we're going to go through two of the I am states of Jesus. We're going to go through, I am the true vine, and I am the light of the world. We're going to go to John 15, verses 1 to 17. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, so just bear with me. here in church. This is why you're here, right? Okay, let's go. Let's go. All right, starting in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. Hang on, I want to I make a distinction. How many of you recognize there are already a lot of vines out there? There are a lot of things that call themselves sources of life, but Jesus makes the quantification right away in John chapter 15 verse 1 and says, I'm not like all the rest of the ones. I'm the only one. I'm the true one. I'm the authentic one. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me... And I in you as the branch, listen to this, as the branch cannot bear fruit by the self by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him. He, it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing for apart from me. You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love." You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that we would be a people who learn how to abide in you, not abide in our striving, not, ab- not abide in our, in our busyness, not abide in our idleness, but Lord, that we would be a people who learn how to abide in you. We don't want to just produce fruit. We want to produce the fruit that you want us to produce. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help me to communicate this word as clearly as you want it communicated, and I I pray you help your people to hear it as you want them to hear it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm going to go back real quickly and, 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 and remind us that Jesus again says the true vine. Now, I I don't know a whole lot about wine. I know a lot about sneakers. I don't know a lot about wine. And and so if if you were to go to, if we were to go to the store tomorrow and you were to say to me, Joel, I want you to pick out the best bottle of wine in the entire store. I would tell you, I can't. Because I know nothing about it. Like, I I don't notice the difference aside from the price If I was to walk into Safeway tomorrow, I don't notice the difference between the $75 bottle on the top shelf and the $3 bottle on the bottom shelf. And to be honest with you, because I'm not as schooled in this, I might not even notice the difference in the taste. The only thing that I do know is that there are different vines. And where the vine comes from, the winery that it comes from determines the price that it actually costs. Now, you can get a $3 bottle of wine, but there is a significant difference, apparently, in a $70 bottle of wine than there is a $3 bottle of wine. The truth is, many of the vines that we are connected to for our source of life are giving us $3 wine. They're vines, they're just not the true vine. My dad is a is a fairly avid outdoorsman, as many of you probably know, and one of the things that that you teach small children when you first go out in the woods, or at least that's what my dad taught us, is we would go out in the woods, and he would tell us the difference between things that we could eat and things that we had to avoid, because the reality is, is that I can go out in the woods and find berries, but if I don't know the source of those berries, in, instead of feeding myself, I might be poisoning myself. If I find a random mushroom out in the middle of nowhere, it might be a morel or it might be poisonous. Unless you know the difference between the two, you're going to assume that all fruit is good fruit. Let me say that a different way. Actually, I'm going to say it the exact same way. Unless you're taught the difference, you're not going to know the difference between good fruit and bad fruit. Your assumption is always going to be all fruit is good fruit. You know, often the gospel can really seem simple. It can come off as very simple, trust in Jesus. But applying simple truths often requires a phenomenal amount of faith on our part. There are all kinds of things that are going to tell you they're the path to real life, real fruitfulness. But before we really get started in the meat of the message this morning, I'm going to talk about a couple of counterfeit vines let to talk about counterfeit vines because it's hard to it's hard to recognize the real if you don't know the counterfeit. The first one. Career. I don't know what it is about American culture but we are absolutely convinced that if we get the right job, we're going to be content. In fact, I've heard it said and the, okay, whoever said this, this was this was like This is like a Zen saying that should never become a Zen saying because it's absolutely false. And that's, if you find the right kind of job, you'll never work a day in your life. How many of you love your job? How many of you work every day of your life? Yeah. Okay, I need to give somebody a newsflash in the room right now. No matter what you do, you're going to work. And it's going to feel like work. If you are looking... For contentment in your job, you are looking for water in a dry well. Contentment does not come from your work. Don't let anybody tell you that that's true. Listen to me. Like, we have this, a lot of times in the church, we can, we can tend to think that like, that, that like pastors are like, they're all called and they're all content and they're all, they all love what they do. I love what I do, by the way, calm down. My point is this, my point is this. If I relied on my contentment, if I if, if I relied on my job for every piece of contentment I had and was not fully invested in, in abiding in Jesus, I can tell you that no amount of accolades that I could receive in this job would make me want to stay here. If all of my contentment is wrapped up in what I do as a pastor, it's not enough because it was never meant to be. Your job is not meant to be the thing that gives you the kind of attaboys and contentment that will actually sustain you in your life. You weren't born to just work. You were born to abide in Jesus. Number two, justice. Now I really want to be careful here because, as a believer in Christ, I absolutely believe that we should be uh, that we should be cognizant of injustice. You know, Martin Luther King said it this way: "Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere." But I'll be honest with you and say that right now the pendulum in the in the American church is beginning to swing, where we have a huge portion of people that call themselves Christians that their main focus is not Jesus and His gospel; it's social justice. And so to them, Jesus is not necessarily the savior of the whole world in as much as he's just the greater social justice warrior. I got to be honest with you, if all you're looking for, if the gospel that you're that you're preaching is only about injustice and it's not about regeneration, it's not about salvation, it's not about a new heavens and a new earth, your gospel isn't big enough and it's not good enough. Number three, relationships or marriage. There's some people in the room that are convinced that if they find the right community of people or maybe if they find the right wife or the right husband, all their deficiencies or their issues are going to be met. Friend, i got to tell you, biblical mathematics are not the same as our mathematics. See, we have this kind of perspective. I've heard people say this all, like quite a lot. I'm just a half person looking for my other half. That is not how the Bible works. We are not half a person who finds another half a person and then we become one person. We are whole people who find another whole person and become one person. Maybe I'll say it a different way to you. The issues you have right now aren't going to change because you said I do. If you have a pornography issue, it's going to follow you into your marriage. If you have a lust issue, it'll follow you into your marriage. It doesn't just go away when you stand in front of a pastor and say, I do. Who you are follows you. Number four, and these are just some random ones that, that I grabbed out of, you know, just as I was thinking through this. Artistic expression or the accumulation of wealth I'm going to put these two together because I, you know, I was really influenced by a lot of rock stars growing up. Honestly, like I've told this, I've told this story a bit, but like my, my goal was definitely not to be a pastor. My goal was to be like a Christian rock star. I wanted to be like one of those guys that just like tours around all over the place. And that's like my entire life. That was my goal. But, you know, I'll be honest with you, a lot of the guys that I looked up to as far as their songwriting, as far as their, what they were able to do, you know, a lot of those guys have committed suicide now. Because no amount of artistic expression is going to heal your deficiency. It might explain it, but it's not going to heal you. You cannot rely on another source to heal you, no matter how much you think it might help. No amount of money will ever be enough for you either. Here's the big idea. If you really want to live, you draw from the source of real life. If you really want to live, you draw from the source of real life. You know, it's actually Peter that said it this way. So so Jesus, during his ministry, there's a lot of times we love to talk about, oh man, Jesus felt like 10,000 people. Like, that's great. But at one point in his ministry, Jesus lost everyone. Because as he was telling the truth, people finally started listening. And they were like, oh, well, thanks for the free bread, but you got to go now. Because, you know, he started in with the whole drinking my blood and eating my flesh thing, and they thought that he talked, was talking about literal cannibalism. And so Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says, Are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter turns to him and said, Where are we supposed to go? You have the words of eternal life. See, they had spent enough time with Jesus beyond the miracles that they realized what they were tapping into was the light of life. Not just, wow, somebody got healed. Wow. Free lunch. This is awesome. When you find the real Jesus, you find the real source of life. You know, when I was growing up, we had uh, there was quite a few like different lakes and and whatnot around uh, Okanagan, Washington, and that's where I'm from. Um, and the thing was is that there was sort of a hierarchy. You knew you knew the if you were going swimming, you knew the exact places that had decent beaches and the places that you wanted to avoid. One of those places was a was a lake. I'm going to loosely call it a lake because it's technically a lake, but it was called Duck Lake. If you've ever been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about but duck lake at, you know at first glance duck lake had a hmm interesting color it was very very green like all throughout the lake all you saw was green about 2 feet into like if you get off the beach by about 2 or 3 feet all of a sudden the entire the entire bed of that lake is totally and completely covered with algae So, like, if you go out any farther than that, you just start getting all of this stuff on you, and you realize if I had just waited and gone to Palmer Lake, which is like 10 miles down the road, I would have gone to a significantly better place and not had to, like, take a, like, 10 different showers when I got home to get all this algae off me. The reality is, is that there is almost no one who has seen a scum-filled pond and said to themselves, wow, what a pristine body of water that is. I don't drive by Duck Lake and be like, man, so many great memories of peeling algae off myself. The thing is, bringing this back into the spiritual. We are really good about knowing the sources of life that don't actually bring life. We've seen other people crash and burn within all of these other things that I've just mentioned, and yet for whatever reason, we sometimes will double down on it, we'll go full steam into it thinking, maybe it won't happen that way for me though. Maybe I'm the exception and not the rule. Maybe if I chase all these other things but Jesus, I'll find contentment after all. Friend, i got to tell somebody in the room that contentment is not found in a bigger house, a better vehicle, or even a healthier lifestyle. Let me put it to you a different way. If it can be taken from you, if you can lose it, it's not of God in the first place. See, because the peace that we have is not something that can be taken. The contentment that we have is not something that is dependent on circumstances, it's why in any given storm, you can still have the same contentment. You can still have the same peace. Because if it doesn't rest on your outside circumstances, then it shouldn't change your internal disposition. If it's rooted in Jesus and I can't lose it, it doesn't matter what's happening around me. I'm going to talk about a few things from this passage. The first one is downsizing is good downsizing is good. You know the first thing that Jesus actually addresses in uh, in John 15 is he addresses pruning and fruitfulness. And I want to I want to marry these two together because they're inseparable. They're inseparable. How many of you in the room have ever watched tidying up with Marie Kondo? If you haven't and you have a de- and you have a very cluttered house, on one hand I would encourage you to watch it and then the other hand I wouldn't encourage you to watch it. <laughs> Because you're gonna watch it and you're gonna be like, I too should declutter my house. And then you'll spend like an entire week doing like two bedrooms of your house. Okay? But Marie Kondo, what she does is she goes around to these, uh, these basically hoarders' homes and she takes them through the process of eliminating all of their excess to get down, to get down to a minimal style of living. And then she teaches them, after, after she gets everything boiled down, she teaches them like how to fold their clothes in a certain way to ensure that those seven shirts and three pairs of pants are actually going to be enough for you, and that the space, like basically she's training you and teaching you how to stay decluttered. You know, when we moved, when we moved from Priest River into, into our, in our current home, we moved from a two-bedroom, two-bath place it was about 1,000 square feet to like a three-bedroom, two-bath that was about 1,400. And even though that's not a massive jump in size, I remember when we first moved in there, I thought to myself, we will never use all this space. There's no way. I mean, we had, an, guys, we had an entire room we weren't even using. And I remember thinking to myself, it's impossible for me, it's impossible that we'll ever fill up this space. And today, I think to myself, man, do we need an addition? Like, I need another storage shed. Because the thing is, is that our propensity, our propensity is whatever space we have, we fill. Whatever time we have, we fill, right? Can I I contend to you today that idleness and busyness are two sides to the same coin, They might look differently, but they come from the same source and they produce the same fruit, futility. Busyness is not what God wants for your life. Fruitfulness is. There's a difference. You could spend your whole life being busy and not actually be fruitful. Pruning is the maximizing of space that you already have. How many of you realize that you're not going to magically get 25 hours in a day? No matter what you do, no matter how much money you have, you will always have the same amount of time. See, our problem is is we want to build more things to house all of our clutter. The reality is is that we are designed to use the space that we have more effectively. Let me give you a, an example. I, have a, I spent one day, one day, when I was about 15 years old, working in an orchard. So that qualifies me to speak authoritatively about trees. I mean, it doesn't really, but I talked to the lady, okay? I talked to the orchardist, and we spent an entire day. This was like 12 or 13 hours. We spent an entire day going around, basically crawling from tree to tree and cutting off these little tiny shoots called sappers. And I remember thinking to myself, these are so small. Why does this matter? I'm literally spending so much time, effort, and energy on these little tiny branches that aren't doing anything wrong. And the lady told me, she said, she said, in order to maximize the fruit that comes off this tree, we have to violently eliminate every, every, every branch, even every small branch that might take from the fruitfulness that this tree could otherwise have. In essence, if I could say it a different way, see, many of us, we don't realize that trees, their, their propensity is not to make fruit, it's to make branches. They want to continue to grow outward, continue to grow outward, continue to grow outward. But what the vine dresser, what the orchardist is looking for is to reduce the the length of their limbs in order to produce the fruit that they want. See, we have a propensity to look at scripture and think that pruning is a problem. That I have been bad and therefore God is pruning me. I have been, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pruned back and so God is punishing me because I'm not able to do all the things that he wants me to do. Actually, if we were to take the scripture seriously, what we'd find is that Jesus said this. He said, every branch that bears fruit, my father prunes. Why? Because he wants, to, he wants you to be able to produce the fullness of the fruit that he has for your life. Pruning is not punishment, it's a pathway to fruitfulness. If you want to be fruitful, you have to embrace the pruning process. And in fact, I'd maybe put it to you a different way. If you're not being pruned, you should be concerned. If you're not being pruned, you should be concerned. How many of you have ever spent time on social media and thought to yourself, man... I've wasted a lot of time here. I mean, it's really easy in today's world, right? I, I, would, I would venture to say this. I would venture to say that a lot of us have things that we are, it's like when you, especially when you, you get off social media and some of these other outlets that we spend a lot of time on, there's something in us that says, this isn't healthy for me. Why am I doing this? I would venture to say there are a lot of us that recognize that there are things that God wants to prune out of our life. That we're not giving to him because we're concerned about what we're going to do with the time that we've been spending on this other thing. What what am I supposed to do with all this time? Well, everything else that was productive in the first place. See, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to produce nothing in life. Like, that's, that's not a goal. Like, very few people say, like, my goal is to do absolutely nothing, have no footprint left of me when this, you know, when my time is done. I want nothing in life. And yet, despite the fact that we live in an era where we have more access to information and inspiration and, and, and all sorts of opportunity Then probably at any other time in human history, on an individual level, we tend to be creating less because with all of those things also came a lot of distractions. You were designed with a purpose in mind. You'll never be fulfilled until you're connected relationally to Jesus and producing the fruit that you were born to produce. Number two, trust in Jesus. Again, this is this is one of those this is one of those statements that I want to remind you that the Bible is not like is not a 10-step narrative of how to be a better person. The New Testament the, the the overarching message of the New Testament is trust in Jesus. Like if I could if I could get you to do one thing coming away from this message, it would be to trust Jesus more. In fact, this this perspective of the vine and the vine dresser can I remind you that the branches don't choose what they receive from the vine? Like the branch doesn't have this, doesn't have this like this intellectual connection with the vine where it's saying, ah, I don't need that nutrient. Please give me twice what you're giving me of this one. Please give me three times what you're giving me of that one, and I'll take none of the other stuff. No, the vine, the vine decides what is given to the branches in order that they may grow and produce the kind of fruit that the, 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 the vine is looking for. See, so many of us, we take what God is giving us, and we ask for something different, and then we wonder why we're not producing any fruit. Even in difficulty, our hearts are tempted to believe that God is doing something to us rather than walking with us. Look, if the Father is the vine dresser, I want you to understand He's not causing every storm. He's not causing every frost. But he can and will use whatever your life circumstances are in order to shape your branch to, to be able to produce the maximum amount of fruit that is possible for you. Let me give you a, an example from nature. So we've talked I think, about this before, but how many of you have ever seen like the uh, like, like news stories about hurricanes and you've seen palm trees that are almost flat? Like, they're getting blown so hard that in in your mind, you think to yourself, there is no possible way that that palm tree is not going to rip out of the the ground. Like, that thing has got to go, right? What I would tell you is that every time that that happens, when palm trees get nearly flattened, it actually results in their roots going significantly deeper. Which means that every single time that you see, if you were to see the same palm tree get hit by the same kind of storm, like in a three-year span, it doesn't matter how flat that palm tree looks. With each ensuing storm, the palm tree is actually safer from being torn up than it was before. Because the storms that have come through have created a process within the tree that has made it so much stronger that it doesn't matter how many storms hit it, it will always become more safe. You know, I think back to the storms of my life when I was a teenager. And comparatively to the storm's intensity that I deal with now as an adult and as a father, I recognize that those storms wouldn't touch me now. They wrecked me back then. But see, the thing is, is that trusting in Jesus and trusting in the Father, what has happened is that he has used those storms to shape me to the point where those storms have no power over me. Listen, i got to tell somebody in the room that is going through something. The storm that you are currently in is not destroying you. It's making you stronger. If you trust in Jesus that he will give you everything that you need, you will become stronger out of this and not weaker. And number three, this is kind of where we're, we're wrapping. Number three. Love is the indicator of real attachment. Love is the indicator of real attachment. Listen to this. This is, a, again, 1 John, or excuse me, John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know, a lot of us, when we, we, we read through these last, you know, previous scriptures, we... We assume that when Jesus is saying, if you love me, you obey my commands. Actually, Jesus was setting him up for the command. He was saying, if you love me, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Here's what I tell you to do. That you love one another just as I've loved you. Can I ask you a question? How did God love you? You see... See, Jesus, he didn't just, you know, we think sometimes we think back to the golden rule and, and, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? That seems like a pretty wise statement. The reality is, is that we treated, we, we, we've treated people, we've treated God as though we wanted people and we wanted God to treat us terribly in return. If you don't care how anybody treats you, the golden rule works for you. But see, Jesus quantified and he says, it's not the love that you can produce in your own. It's the love that only comes from abiding in me. You can't love like I loved unless you are attached to the vine. If you're loving people unconditionally, if you're loving people through your offenses, come on, how many of you realize that offenses are going to happen? Listen, guys, you know, my, my brother, my brother Drew is my best friend and he has been my entire life. But I can absolutely tell you, both physically and emotionally, that there is not a single person on planet earth that has hurt me more than my brother. Like, hands down, unequivocally. Why? Because we're all flawed. And the closer you get to somebody, the more they're going to hurt you. Jesus, Jesus basically tells, I mean, have you ever thought that it's interesting he's speaking to his own disciples? His own 12 guys, and he's saying, this commandment I give you, that you love each other. You would have assumed that three years together living with Jesus would have been enough for them to actually love each other unconditionally. And yet Jesus still made the proclamation that if you want if you want to you look like me, you want to walk like me, you want to talk like me, you better love like me. And the only way to do that is if you stay connected to me. Because in and of yourself, you cannot love like me unless you abide in me. Because without abiding in me, you don't possess my love. You can't give what you don't have. The power of God, working from the vine to the branches, enables you to love people the way that Jesus loved. Verse 34 and 35, again, this is a repeat of, of, uh, of John 15. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. You know, I think about the last 100 years especially, but I mean, if you were to take the last 500 years of church history, all the revivals, all the miracles, all the all the times that God turned nations around, all the times that he rescued us when we were at our darkest. And you know what I think to myself? As amazing as all that is, Think about the fact that God did all of those things in the midst of a divided church. What could he do with a unified one? I'm going to take you to one more passage of scripture and then we're 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 circling the airport, guys. I promise. John chapter 8, verses 2 to 13. It says at dawn, I want you to, want you to grab hold of this for just a minute. At dawn. Okay, the, the passage of the scripture that we are using right now is one entire day. This isn't like an hour. This isn't like, you know, this isn't like a split shift. This is one full day in the middle of Jesus' ministry. It says, at dawn he went to the temple again and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked us to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one who is without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they who has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. Well, then neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. Okay. This ends, if you you were looking at this in your Bible, your paper Bible right now, there is a break, there's a line break between this moment and the next one. Automatically, sometimes as readers, we presume that what that means is there's a whole separate event that's coming. That's actually not what's happening. In verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again. This is the same day. He spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Listen to this. And so the Pharisees, imagine the same Pharisees that had left previously tails tucked between their legs. They come back again because Jesus has put himself into a position where he's teaching the people again. Right? This is what they say. You're testifying about yourself. yourself, Your testimony is not valid. Before we move on, can we talk for a moment about how patient Jesus is? That he got up at dawn and began to teach the people, and then they rejected him without actually telling him they rejected him. They just left. What they should have done is fell on their knees in repentance, but they didn't. And they didn't so that they could come back later and accuse him again. Man, it's so easy to dunk on the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other E's and basically say, man, if if that had been me, if I'd have been there, I would have repented. But friend, can I tell you, there's some people in this room that Jesus has been trying to reach you, trying to save you, trying to restore you, trying to pull you out of your darkness and into his light your whole life. But I got to tell you, Today is still your day. The Bible says, I have stretched my hands out to you all the day long. I have stretched out my, I've stretched out my reputation to you. I've stretched out my love to you. I've stretched out my grace to you. Don't reject it in your hour. The work of God testifies for itself. You know, John said that, or excuse me, Jesus said that to John the Baptist. John, in a moment of unclarity, lost heart. He, he'd heard the, the ministry of Jesus and what he was doing, and it looked so familiar to his own ministry that he thought, maybe this is just another messenger. Maybe this is just some other guy. And so he sent his messenger to him. And he says... He says, are you the one, this is, I mean, keep this in mind, this is the same John that prophesied when he baptized Jesus that this was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in a moment of doubt, he sends his own, his own, his own messenger and he asks the question, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus says to him, listen, go back to John and say, the sick are being healed, the dead are being raised, The gospel's being preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who's not offended by me. Listen, we've all had doubts. We've all had issues. We've all had these thoughts. But I can tell you today, Jesus is reaching for you. Listen, you know, just like with the true vine, by saying that he's the light of the world, he was saying that every other light, by definition, is a false one. How many of you... When you see a UV light, you think, wow, the sun, majestic. You see somebody with a fake tan, you're like, wow, you look great. Come on, we know the difference. They might look similar, but the result is far different. I'm the light of the world. I'm going to read that again. I just, I love this verse so much. It says, I'm the light of the world. Listen. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Are you tired of being confused? Are you tired of being unsure what's going to happen? Are you tired of relying on politicians? Are you tired of relying on religion? Are you tired of relying on do goodism? Then, friend, I I got some good news for you this morning. None of those are real lights, but there is one. It's Jesus, and he's the light of the world. If you want to stop walking in the darkness and confusion of this age, I can tell you, you come to Jesus, and he's going to light your path for you. You might ask me, Pastor Joel, do you know what's going to happen? No, I don't, but I know that God is going to be there, and he's still going to be good. Our goal, come on, friend, I got, I got to tell somebody this morning, our goal is not do more Christianity. It's trust more in Jesus. I want to trust in his finished work. The more I trust in it, the less I have to worry about my performance and the more that I can focus on being his son. See, maybe, maybe what I need to do is I need to do less striving and more abiding, maybe less working and more walking, less stressing and more surrendering. Maybe what I need to be is a little less controlling of the outcome and more submissive to the process. See, when I trust in Jesus, the beauty of it is, is that it doesn't rely on me. It relies on Him. When I trust Him, that He's going to work in and through me to my benefit and His glory, then the results aren't up to me. It's up to him. Listen to this. This is the last thing. Hebrews twelve one and two says. Therefore, since we are also we also have such a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping. Listen. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm not out here doing this on my own. I have an example. I have a a, a prize and a goal that I've set my eyes on that will never put me to shame. You see... Doing it in my own power only gets me so far. And it never gets me far enough. You know, I'm reminded of the, I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. You know, and after, after all, of the, all of the stuff goes down, he gets his inheritance. He goes and he spends it in wild living and he does all sorts of things. And then he has a realization moment where he says, well, this couldn't really get a lot worse. I may as well go back to my father. And so he begins to go back, and I I imagine that his entire way home, he's rehearsing exactly what he ends up saying to the father. But the scripture records that while he was still a long ways off. Listen, friend, if if you're trying to get to God through some sort of moralism, just like the prodigal son, dude, you're a long way off. It's not you that comes the rest of the way. The scripture says the father ran out to him. You don't have to do this all on your own. And in fact, you can't. So stop pretending you can and begin to trust in the work of Jesus for you. Come on, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not a people of striving. We are not a people of busyness. We are not a people who have to stretch ourselves thin in order for you to produce fruit. God, I thank you that we don't have to do anything except trust in you, except follow you, except obey you, and abide in you. God, we don't want to be a people who are trying to work for your for your uh, for your favor, but we want to be a people who rest in the knowledge that you have already given us the favor that you earned at Calvary on our behalf. We already have it. I'm going to just ask you one question this morning. Do you need Jesus? I mean, it's kind of a Rhetorical question, every single person in this room needs Jesus, but I guess I want to ask it to you is do you want Jesus? listen friend, you know maybe maybe you're somebody who has been far off from the Lord, maybe you at some point in your life you said yes to him and 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 it's sort of been a series of 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 missteps and 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 you've walked away from 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 your God, or maybe, or maybe you're here and this is maybe your maybe first time in church and, and, and you're hearing this message of, of, of trusting in Jesus for the first time and, and you want to say, Yeah, I want to trust Jesus with my life. I, I want to trust Jesus to come into my into my heart, into my experience. I want to learn what it is to abide in Him. If that's you this morning, and you need to recommit your life to the Lord, or if you need to commit your life to the Lord for the first time. If that's you today, I'd like you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Is there anybody in the room that today's your day? I need to, I need to say yes to this Jesus. I need to come into his house. I need to come into his presence. I need, him to, I need him to renew my spirit. I need him to regenerate me. I need him to put me back on the right path. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you this morning that you are the way, the truth, the life, that you are the light of the world, that you are the true vine. And Lord, when we're connected to you, when we're connected to you, everything that we need is supplied, all of our desire is met, and all the fruit that you have for us is produced. God, I pray that we would be that people. We would be that people who are committed to abiding in your presence. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning?